Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. The Crime Couch is proudly sponsored by Bank Vic. Myrene Purcell is not your typical ex-police member. She trained in the army, was the first female member of the prison squad and since leaving the job has qualified as a social worker, working in child protection, investigation and as a court officer. Myrene was one of four females in her recruit squad and the only police woman in Seymour. Before she was transferred to the Sexual Offences Squad, Stolen Motor Vehicle Squad, Inner City CIBs and then became a detective. Myrene worked in community policing and retired in 1989 as a senior sergeant and district training officer. Hi Myrene, welcome to the Crime Couch. You initially were in the army. Why did you become a cop? Well, I always wanted to be a police officer. My uncle was in the job and also my brother. And I just loved the idea of being a police officer and also looking at, I really wanted to be an investigator. That was where I wanted to go. I think I can remember reading my brother's police journals, that, which was a quarterly a magazine that came out that talked about crime. And just reading those, I just, you know, I just sapped it all up and I, that's what I wanted to do in life. You were in the army and then you joined the job, the Victoria Police. How would you compare the two organisations? I joined the army and I was only quite young. I was 18. I was too young to join the police force. And I really joined the army to get that experience, to get that life experience that I knew I'd need. And obviously my brother told me that I needed to get out and get a bit of life's experience before I joined the job. What I did in the army, I was in the intelligence corps. And I worked on analysis there. And again, that was beneficial and was good experience to take with me to the police force. But ultimately, the police force was the job that I wanted. What was life like for a young policewoman such as yourself in the 1970s? It was interesting. It, of course, wasn't what I thought that I was going to experience. I, I saw myself as getting out there and being on the road doing what the guys did, but it was very different because police women back in that era, when I first joined, mainly did welfare work. So I was there before equal opportunity came in, but, you know, wanted to do more. My experiences at Seymour gave me that more that I wanted, which really sent me down the track of of eventually um, being able to go into the CIB. You just mentioned you were transferred or sent to Seymour. You were the only policewoman in the district. What on earth was that like? And what was your role there? It was an interesting role. There were no other police women. The nearest ones were up in Benalla, over in Shepparton, or coming back the other way, back down the highway into Melbourne, also heading over. Ngunnawadding Police Women's Division had just opened, so it was a huge area. On a daily basis, I had the experience of going out 
and doing regular police work because I, the inspector there at the time gave me that opportunity. So I went out, um, I worked on the, the, uh, on the van when police women were not doing that in Melbourne. I also went out with the CIB, with the detectives, when they were doing crime investigation. But I also went out with the traffic operations group when they were setting up anthometers, you know, which was the thing that was there before we ever had radar. And you used to sort of have to tack them down on the middle of the road and sit on the side of the road with this little machine that was sort of would show you the speed. So, you know, that was great experience. I, I learned a lot in that period of time. Plus, I then did, if there were was welfare work, I did that welfare work and I had some fantastic experiences doing that, going out into um, logging camps and I actually did, I took my first rape statement when I was actually in Seymour, which was an experience for a 20-year-old. That's exactly what I was going to ask you about. That was your first statement. What was it like as a 20, 21-year-old taking a, your first rape statement from a woman in her late 50s? It was really daunting because I was on call overnight. I was woken up at midnight. I was living in a motel at the time and I then drove my own car across the country to Marysville, which is where the rape had happened. On arrival was sort of, there you go, she's in the room, go and interview her. So it was, away you go, Myrene. I'd sort of, I'd sat in on a, a senior policewoman doing an interview in Melbourne before I'd gone up there, thank God I had, because all of a sudden it was me in that chair, me taking the statement, and it was quite daunting for, for a 20-year-old, 20, 20 and then had to drive her over to to Alexandra, which was the nearest hospital, for a medical, sit there with her and assist her while a medical took place, and then stay there with her until family members, because she was from Melbourne, family members came up to support her then drive back to Seymour at the end of the day. So I'd, and I'd already done a day's work that, that previous day. So I'd always been working for 24 hours. A huge responsibility for a 20, 21 year old woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. But gee, it gave me experience. And I had other experiences there in Seymour. Um, the local priest came into the police station one day with a newborn babies in his arms that he'd found in the back of a church and said, here you go, and it was, here you go, look after this newborn baby, and then eventually transport the baby down to Melbourne, and the baby was placed in care, unfortunately. Same thing with the logging camp. I went out to the, was called out to the logging camp one day. There was three children who'd been, let's say, abandoned by the mother. Who knows what was the logic for the mother, but the mother had just disappeared off the face of the earth, and the father didn't want the children, and he couldn't really look after them, in fairness, couldn't look after them in a logging camp because it was pretty primitive conditions out there. So, yeah, interesting times. Maureen, what did you learn living and working as a police member in the country? I learned a lot about the way the country people are. A good example of that would be bringing those children back into Seymour. I had to go and fill my car with petrol to bring them down to Melbourne. The ladies in the garage in the servo, roadhouse had heard and realised what had happened because news travels fast. And when I was, I'd sort of filled up with petrol, went into the garage to buy them some food. I was presented with a box of food and lollies and, you know, all sorts of things, some books and some pencils. Everything that I needed was given to me, here you go, to 
to sort of help me, you know, on the journey back to Melbourne. They probably looked at me and thought that kid wouldn't know what to do with three kids, so we'd better help her. But And that's country. You, as you said, you moved back to Melbourne. I'm really interested to know that there were these officers known as the police women's officers. Why were they specifically called that? Why wasn't it just you moved back to the suburban branch or the depot? Because they were officers set up purely and simply staffed by women. And there were a number of them around the, well, the metropolitan area, around the country area, few and far between. I think there was only about 200 police women in the state of Victoria when I joined. And so they were set up specifically for the police women to do the welfare work, the searches, whatever was thought by the males to be police women's work. You were in the CIB, the Sexual Offences Squad. What was that like working in that division? It was in its preliminary stages. There had been recommendations for a squad to be set up and to be staffed again by women. And we were on a roster. I think when we arrived there, the the philosophy underpinning it was good. But where it fell apart was there were only six of us originally. We were on call, but we were on two rosters. So we're on the sexual offences roster, a rape squad roster, but we were also on a roster where we were attached. So initially, we were all put into the Russell Street CIB. So we would come in, we'd do a day's work. But if there was a rape, one of us would go off to do the rape or the sexual offence to do the interviews. Then there was a decision made by the hierarchy that, oh, that's not really going to work. So we were then sent to, to various squads. So I finished up in the stolen car squad. Again, two rosters, two roster system doesn't really work. After a couple of months, it was decided, well, this doesn't really work either, so let's put them out onto inner suburban CIB divisions. Again, two rosters didn't really work. What are we going to do with them? So we were brought back into Russell Street and then sent to various other places. So this is when I was transferred out to Hampton CIB, which was great. And at that time, the philosophy of the, the rape squads, whilst it was still there, it was decided it wasn't going to work and so it was abandoned. So we were then assimilated into the CIB proper. And it didn't work because, you know, you how can you work all day and be involved in investigations, whatever that might be, robberies, thefts from cars, whatever, and then you're suddenly called away because there's a rape in, in Carlton and you need to go off and do that rape. So see you later, boys. You stay there. You do whatever you're doing now. I'm going to chuff off and go and go and do a rape investigation. Would never have worked. Bank Vic was founded by police in 1974 to help members get a better deal on banking. Things are better today, but Bank Vic's purpose is the same. To serve the police better than the other banks with great rates and personal service. With a branch inside Victoria Police Centre and mobile lenders visiting stations or available by appointment, they're available where and when it suits you. Bank Vic get police because they've been helping them with their banking for nearly 50 years. To find out more, go to bankvic.com au slash the crime couch. Bankfic is the trading name of Police Financial Services Limited, ABN 33 
you were in a couple of squads. You were in the stolen motor vehicle squads and you also, as you mentioned, the, the inner city CIBs. Is that what motivated you to actually do your detective training? Oh, that was part of it. If you Once you got into the CIB, everyone who went to the CIB did detective training school, which, again, was, was great. You know, it was really what I wanted to do. Learned a lot. You know, I think the whole process of being a police officer is a learning it's a never-ending learning. Was it difficult to be a female detective in those days, Myrene? Yes, it was. But I think it depended on, on the person. For me, I had a few initial issues. And I go back to the days of the Rape Squad roster. I can look back now with the experience I've had and understand what it must have been like for the the officer in charge of wherever I was to have to have this you know, this female officer who would be called away at the drop of a hat. And so my days in the the stolen car squad were great. I was accepted. I was part of that team. I did struggle when I was sent out to an inner suburban CIB division and the senior sergeant made it very clear that he didn't want me there, didn't want a female there. And the team had been, as I found out later, the team had been told, not to talk to me, not to mix with me, not to take me out. So I sat there for a month and I just played the game because I knew that it was the best thing to do. It was a very hard time. But eventually, as a person, I was able to, let's say, win the guys over. One particular Friday night, one of the guys had sort of, I'd become friendly with him and he, he actually said, do you want to go out and get some dinner? So we'd gone out to get out, pick up some takeaway and there was a brawl in progress. Cars were coming from everywhere. I felt him look across, he was driving. I could see him looking across at me and I said, don't worry about me. And so we attended the brawl. Needles to say, by Monday morning, when I walked in the door, it was, do you want a cup of tea? Heard about what happened Friday night. Totally accepted. And the old dinosaur was the odd one out in that situation. And I think that kind of reputation then followed me as I went back into Russell Street and then came out to Hampton. What did you face as the first female member of the four-person prison squad? I'd imagine that would have been quite an undertaking as well. It was. And again, I was very lucky that the inspector in charge of that squad was quite open to having a female there. The the two the other two members of the squad, again, quite accepting. And, you know, we had some great times. I know that the department, because I had seen the file, the department had an exemption for women at being accepted as members of that squad and it was absolutely ludicrous what it was based around. The file was based around the fact that well most prisons and youth training centres in Melbourne are male orientated. It was really before female prison officers came on the scene and so the philosophy was well what happens if this female officer wants to use a toilet in the prison? Well hello I think I was old enough to to be able to work around that one. And in fact, my colleagues at the squad looked at that. We sat and read the file on a particular day and we just laughed. We just thought it was so ludicrous. So yeah, from that time on, we, we got on great. We did all the prisons and youth training centres in Victoria. So we could be at work one day and get a call that we needed to go up to the country because there'd been a 
sudden death in the prison or there'd been a bad assault or there were drugs in the prison. At times we would go away with the prison investigation squad because they would do a sudden, we'd roll up to the to the front gate of the prison with the investigation section with their dog squad unannounced and they would go through the prison looking for contraband and we would then do the follow-up investigations. So it was a time when I went around Victoria. Great time. Maureen, for anyone dealing with discrimination in the job, what would your advice be? My advice is to to just bide your time, to be able to, to look at how you can prove yourself. And I think that's that's the main thing. If you can prove that you can do the job, that you've got the experience, that you are not frightened to deal with whatever comes your way, then you then you'll get on and you you'll wear away at the prejudice that's there. You just have to be your own person. So it's really it sounds to me like a question of resilience. It is being resilient. You know, it's no you sitting in the corner and it's not a job for sitting in the corner. You, if you join the job, you know you're going to see and experience some pretty shocking things at times. If you don't want to do that, well, don't join the job. That's simple as that. Myrene, you retired in 1989 after 16 years. What motivated you to retire? Well, I'd married in the intervening period. And, and, and that, again, is an interesting question because if I can go back a bit, when I first joined the job, you could not be married and stay in the job. So whilst I met my husband in the police academy, we didn't even get engaged until the legislation had changed. Um, and we certainly didn't get married until we knew that the legislation had changed on married women remaining in the job. So, you know, at that point, back in 1989, I decided to um, resign and to look at other things. I'd started one university degree and, and I could just see a different path in life for me. And that was where I went. Yeah, you very interestingly got into social work. What motivated you to do that? Having left the job and looking, I was actually doing some psychology back at uni and my husband actually said to me, where are you going to take this? What do you want to do? And he said, you're a people person. You need to be doing something where you're actually dealing face-to-face with people because that's what you're good at. And so I then combined the psychology that I'd done with other studies that I'd done previously and decided that the social work was all-encompassing. I could do a lot more with that degree. Did you feel, as a police member, you weren't able to actively deal with things such as family violence? Is this where you think the social work actually enabled you to tackle that issue better? Again, I think it's time and place. Back in that era, when I was in the police force, family violence was not seen in the same way that it is now. Um, And even as a social worker, when I became a social worker and I was in a rural area, family violence wasn't given the credence that it should have been given. So I think that um, things have come a long way. Things have certainly got a long way to go yet. But but to be able to see that there is recognition of what let's I know I know males can be victims as well as females, but it certainly is more of a female issue than a male issue. The children certainly suffer, and I've seen that all the way along through my career, through policing, through social work, through being in child protection. And I think that 
we, we certainly got as we we see the crimes that are being committed now, the, the the murders of women and children. We've got a long way to go. But for me, social work gave me the opportunity of being able to stand up, use my experience as a police member, and so try to make some inroads into community awareness of family violence, family awareness of what you know a member of their own family may be going through, the hidden cost of family violence for, for women or for, for males if, if, if the male is a victim, but also for the children, more importantly for the children. Family violence, as you mentioned, certainly has the headlines and it has a lot of funding and a lot more prominence now and a, there's a lot more social awareness about the issue. What are some of the restrictions and the issues that police members have when dealing with family violence now? Well, I think it's it's the, the biggest one is trying to, A, make the perpetrator aware of what they're actually doing, what they're doing to to their family, to their to their children, to their to their spouse. But I also think it is the frustration is for the police is seeing that person going back and back and back and back. And and I know as a rural social worker and dealing with the police officers who were dealing with the family violence Often they would, you know, they would do a referral to me because they knew my background. Mm. So they would do a referral to me for a woman to come and sit down and, and talk about what was happening and try to get the women to to see through what was happening with them, to see that this person is not going to change. It's the old, I walked into a door. No, you didn't walk into a door. And do you really think this person is going to make changes? Do you think that the person who threw your child up against a wall last night is going to change? Or is your major role looking after that child and preventing that child from serious injury? And I think that has always been a frustration for police officers and still is a frustration. Myreen, you officially retired from social work as well about three years ago. How's life treating you now? It's great. I'm enjoying retirement, doing lots of things and just being able to experience life outside of all all those those different roles you know was it a real transition for you to stop working because I get the feeling that you're someone that really loves to to work and to be involved was it a difficult transition to actually stop no because I made that decision I I had you know I, I've sort of got other family commitments and for me it was time to sort of step up and you know, become a grandma and to care for my grandchildren whilst my daughter was then able to, to go back to work and, and she's got a rather uh, demanding role and she can carry out that role knowing that I'm home with her children, they're cared for, she can get on and be the woman that she wants to be. What does the future hold for you, Maureen? Well, being a grandma for the next few years and being the child carer and, you know, spending time with my husband, who fortunately is still around after 48 years. That's a great record. Well, well done. Well, look, thank you very much for sitting with me today on The Crime Couch, Maureen. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Couch. Mm-hmm.